Thank you for calling Navy Federal Credit Union. How can I help you? Hi, if I'm in the Army, not in the Navy, am I still eligible for membership? Yes, you are. What about my sister in the Air Force? Her too. And my dad's a Marine. We serve all branches of the military, veterans, and their families. My dog is a retired military working dog. I'll see what I can do. Find out if you're eligible at NavyFederal.org. Navy Federal Credit Union. Our members are the mission. Insured by NCUA. This is the smell of the leftover tuna fish sandwich you left in your lunchbox over the weekend in a wimpy trash bag. Wimpy, wimpy, wimpy! Blech! And this is the smell of that same sandwich in a hefty, ultra-strong trash bag. Hefty, hefty, hefty! Ah, smell the difference? Hefty Ultra Strong has Arm & Hammer with continuous odor control, so no matter what's inside your trash, hmm, you can stay one step ahead of Stinky. And for bigger jobs, try the superior strength of Hefty Large Black Bags. Hello, and welcome to the Hearn Him Podcast. I'm Dale. And I'm Tamara. And when two theologians get married, what you get... Is a podcast. Well, as we're recording this, we are sitting in our half-empty office slash recording studio and actually like half of our house is empty at this point because we're actually moving in a couple of weeks yay we are taking all of our stuff we're packing it up into boxes we're going to put it on a truck we're going to drive three miles to another house and we're going to unload it there and we're super excited about the home that we're moving into but as we have been going through this process of getting ready to move and we've been starting to pack up all of our stuff, we've come to realize that we have accumulated a lot of stuff that we do not need. Yeah, you've certainly accumulated a lot of things. Me as well, but I would say you more. Okay, all right. <laughs> and so our and trash... Silas, I mean, he has so many things. He has quite the wardrobe, we <laughs> yeah, have found out. He does. He burns through clothes so quickly. <laughs> and so we've been going on this process of paring down stuff, our trash can has been overflowing the last two weeks. Our Goodwill pile has been accumulating and we are just evaluating all the stuff that we have, whether we need to take it or not, because if we don't need it, then we don't want to have to pack it up, move it, and then unpack it and find another place to put it if we don't actually need it. Yeah. And there are a lot of things that we have moved into this current home and we've literally never opened the box to it in three years. Right. I think that's a good sign. We don't need it. Yeah, and we are probably a little less cluttered than most American families. We're pretty clutter-free. Uh, I think the exact words of our realtor was, yeah, you guys don't have a lot of stuff. Yeah. <laughs> and yeah, so some people true. have called us minimalists. And I think maybe that's a little bit of an overstatement, but that is a statement that has been made of us nonetheless. Yeah, and I wouldn't say we were intentionally that way. I think I just grew up without a lot of stuff, and so the idea of collecting stuff didn't seem like it was needed. And it's probably also because I'm cheap and don't want to buy stuff. So <laughs> it's probably a mix of just growing up without a lot of things and, and thinking, well, we don't really need that. So I think that's a benefit in terms of <laughs> in terms of my childhood actually running into my adult life and it being beneficial. 
And it is quite interesting that your cheapness and your brokenness is coming into <laughs> vogue right now. It is. Because there's a movement of minimalism that is sweeping the nation, that is sweeping our generation. Yeah. And so when we talk about minimalism, what we want to do today is to evaluate that movement and that mentality of minimalism from a Christian perspective. Are Christianity and minimalism congruent with one another? Does the Bible have anything to say that speaks into a mindset of minimalism? And so we want to spend some time talking about that, but we want to start by talking about what exactly minimalism is first, because maybe you've heard that term. Maybe it's a term that's been used to describe you. It's a term that's being popularized, but we want to kind of discuss what that movement is. And then once we do that, we want to evaluate it from a Christian perspective. Yeah. And the idea of minimalism is that you live your life on less, needing less, wanting less. And there really is this spiritual element behind that philosophy of life. And that is if you have less and you long for less and you want less, you actually live a more full and happy life because you're not always trying to buy the next great thing or always trying to compete with your neighbors or your friends and just accumulating things because it might represent some kind of status or success in life. Instead, the idea of minimalism is the opposite. It's that your success actually is measured by the fact that you don't need more things and that you can find fulfillment and joy in life apart from things. Yeah, and this has been popularized for us by a few key really high-profile minimalists, and one of those would be Marie Kondo. There's the Netflix show Tidying Up with Marie Kondo, and so she comes in and she helps families declutter their homes, and there is like this kind of spiritual element to it where she talks about keeping only things that, that spark joy in you, and she kind of talks a lot about the energy of your home, and you thank your items before you get rid of them or you donate them or whatever it might be. And so there, there's kind of that element to it. Another one is there was this documentary on Netflix called The Minimalists. And it's these two guys, Ryan Nicodemus and Joshua Fields Milburn. And they have a podcast and they've written books on this. And really their life philosophy is living a meaningful life with less. So instead of saying only keep what sparks joy, they're talking about living a meaningful life. But essentially the two things are kind of the same idea. Mm -hmm. They talk a lot about only owning things that add value. And so it's a very similar message in that. And then there's uh, another one, uh, Tiny House Nation. We love that show. It's super interesting. I would never want to live in a no. tiny house because we're talking about like a 300 square foot storage container that's been converted into a home. And the idea there is that you are paring down all of your physical possessions mm -hmm. so that you can have financial freedom, so that you can travel, so that you can have experiences. And so you're not paying for stuff. You're not paying for your home. You're, you're spending your money in different ways and you're finding freedom in that. And really the, the, the message of minimalism is, is that allure of the, the freedom that it, it brings. Yeah. And that is not a foreign concept to what we're longing for. I mean, I think previous generations found that buying stuff allowed for enjoyment and freedom in the same ways. And I guess now the current generation is thinking, well, that didn't quite bring the freedom and enjoyment that we thought it was going to bring. So let's 
move to the other end of the spectrum and let's own less and long for less and want less. And then we'll be free and have joy in life. And it's interesting you brought up the generational piece because I feel like my grandparents' generation, where they were born in the the 20s or the 30s, they had this mindset kind of born out of the Depression era where you're very frugal. You don't throw anything out. You save things. You repurpose things. And so you don't buy new things. But then – they had children who were born in the 50s, 60s, 70s, which was really this time, uh, not so much the 70s, but the 50s, 60s, this time of a economic boom. And our parents' generations could uh, pay for college on a summer job's salary and you know, buy a house with a you know, big down payment at age 25. And there was this just abundance for them. And because their parents came from so little, they amassed a lot of stuff. Mm -hmm. And then they had kids and that was us. And we said, look at all this stuff. This is way too much stuff. And also, uh, financially speaking, it's harder for millennials, Gen Z, to amass wealth the same way that baby boomers and older Gen Xers did. And so we're seeing kind of this re-correction of that. And in the midst of that, it's more than just a trend. There's an actual movement leaning into that called minimalism. And what's crazy about minimalism is that you hear like conversion stories where you were converted to becoming a minimalist. And this kind of mirrors any kind of spiritual conversion that you would hear about where this person's like unhappy, they're longing for something, and then they discover minimalism, they embrace it, and all of a sudden their life is full of joy and meaning and purpose. Yeah, and you see those conversion stories on all of these Netflix shows, like on the documentary, on Tiny House, like on all of the shows that are really pushing minimalism. That's a huge feature of the show, is sharing the conversion story of how someone went from just a life of discontentment and dissatisfaction and moved into a life of joy and freedom because they got rid of stuff. And that's very interesting to dive into that side of it because a lot of the times we think of minimalism and we think, well, it's just a way to live life and to collect less things. But there is something far deeper behind this trend and movement uh, than what you might think on the surface. Yeah, and even watching like the minimalist documentary on Netflix, and if you haven't seen it, I encourage you to watch it. It's very compelling. There's very compelling stories in it. There's very compelling rationale in it. And really, it's interesting how it does get to kind of this spiritual place and even the origins of the minimalist movement. It's not necessarily a centralized thing, but it's a very old school mentality that has been around for a long time and has actually deeply spiritual roots in it. Yeah, and one of the areas you might be able to connect it is actually to Buddhism. And that's because they really have this sort of minimalistic and detached from your possessions understanding of life. And that's a large part of their faith, especially among monks, where the whole idea is you don't own anything. You don't have anything on this earth that you own, that you possess, that you call your own. And the idea behind it within the Buddhist faith is that you actually are living a more spiritual freeing life by not having any possessions. Right. So it's this exaltation of detachment from things. What's interesting too is that 
minimalism isn't just a Buddhist thing, but there's also roots of it in Christianity as well, because there are monastic groups among Christianity and particularly uh, amongst Catholicism, uh, different kind of monks in different kind of monasteries, but a lot of them living a very minimalistic, humble life where they work with their hands. They live very simply. They spend lots of time in prayer. They don't own anything. And we see uh, this kind of monastic life and this, they didn't call it minimalism at the time, but this minimalistic thinking dating back to even the second or third century. And to be sure, not all of these guys were necessarily in their right mind about all of this all of the time because <laughs> there was some of them took it to the point of extremity and a lot of like early christian writers were like very like repressive almost like mm. sexually repressive yeah. and they valued like a very severe kind of austerity but we see elements of the wisdom in kind of a, a minimalist approach to life in Buddhism as well as in Christianity. Yeah, and that's because the idea of minimalism is that you're not attaching your value and your worth to material possessions. And certainly you see that in Scripture. You see that understanding of you're not going to take anything with you into heaven. And so storing up things on this side of eternity isn't as valuable as you think it is because it's not investing in your long term. It's not investing in in the bigger picture, it's just investing in your here and now. And to attach your identity and your value and your way you live life to possessions is contrary to what the gospel calls you to do. But I think there is some aspects of minimalism and the way that we're seeing it now that wouldn't necessarily center on the gospel. Like it, it feels close to what we see in scripture, but it hasn't quite arrived at actually living a gospel-centered life. Yeah, so it's good that you bring that up because not everyone is on board with minimalism. And it's kind of on both sides of the spectrum, whether you're a conservative Christian or whether you're a liberal secularist. Not everyone is on board with this idea of minimalism. And it's actually kind of interesting. The term minimalism originated as basically a slight against minimalistic art, you know, art with that had lots of negative space and it was very simple in its design. They said they had minimalistic artistic contribution, but then that style became a legitimate style and that moniker kind of became just a, a designation for this kind of art. And then it turned just into a lifestyle choice of having basically a lot of negative space where the meaning is is found in the simplicity of what it is in front of you. But not everybody's on board with that. And there's actually an article by Megan Hill that's called Minimalism is Not the Gospel. And we found this on Gospel Coalition. And she describes herself actually as a former minimalist mm -hmm. who was kind of taken by this message of min minimalism, this promise of minimalism, and really went after it. But in her article, she argues that minimalism is – it's actually kind of a form of legalism where you're paring down your life for this promise that brings freedom to you. But really you become trapped in this mindset of trying to get rid of more and more and more stuff or that if you indulge in having stuff, that it becomes like this legalistic kind of guilt-driven thing. And that's because true freedom can only be found in Christ. And so if we're talking about an extreme form, form of minimalism, 
Megan Hill, she definitely has a point when she talks about the fact that the freedom, quote unquote, of minimalism can itself become a, a very heavy legalistic weight. Yeah, and that's because you're thinking through, should I have this in my life? Should I not? And you begin to feel guilt by wanting one of those things in your life even though you don't necessarily need it. So the difference between need and want, it becomes very complicated and you're having to draw those lines with every single purchase you make and everything you own. And that could easily become very legalistic. And there's there's no freedom in that if you want something, but you choose not to get it because it's not it doesn't fit under the category of a need. It's almost like the difference between having a healthy diet where you don't always indulge in unhealthy foods. The difference between that and having an eating disorder. Yeah. Whereas mm-hmm. Hill would probably describe minimalism as having an eating disorder, mm. whereas you want to have a healthy diet. You want to be balanced and the extreme of minimalism would say you no longer have balance in your life. Yeah. And so there's another article we found in the New York Times written by Kyle Kaika. I think so. Kyle, if you're listening to this, I'm sure you are. I'm sorry for mispronouncing (laughs) your your last name. Yeah. (laughs) But he wrote an article called The Oppressive Gospel of Minimalism. And so I was like, ooh, I got to click on that. And in this article, uh, it's written from a non-Christian perspective, but it's very similar to the Gospel Coalition article in what it argues in that he says that minimalism is actually oppressive. It promises freedom, but it's actually oppressive because it's forcing conformity to kind of this very specific aesthetic of sort of a vaguely stylish austerity where everything is white and there's just a lot of white broken brick with one single string of lights across it. It's it's forcing this conformity to this specific image of what it looks like to be minimalistic in kind of a Vizco cam Instagram influencer kind of way. And he also kind of argues that minimalism as a movement actually has a certain arrogance to it because it fundamentally speaks from a place of privilege where we are finding virtue in the stuff that we're throwing in the trash can because we have too much stuff. Mm -hmm. All the while, there are people growing up the way that you grew up where you're a minimalist by necessity uh, because it's you, your mom, and your brother sleeping on one mattress in a one-bedroom apartment because that's all you can afford. So to kind of see minimalism as this spiritual movement of virtue Hmm. is actually a very privileged understanding of the situation when people are living in actual very real poverty. And to that, he's got a pretty good point when you you think, consider that. Yeah, because that really is a like first world problem where you have so much stuff that you're having to form this whole movement around how do I get rid of my stuff? Where if you go into another country, what they have is absolutely needed and they barely even have what they need. And so it is certainly a movement that comes out of a place of privilege. But I wouldn't say we should discredit the movement entirely because I certainly think there's some value in it and value in understanding it. Because the reality is, if you do live in Western culture, this is something that you have to wrestle with. This is something you have to think through. And you have to think about how does 
my life look based on the things that I own and based on the things that I possess. And there's some value that we can take, even though the minimalistic movement certainly has some faults. And I think it just goes back to any movement that's trying to correct something that is wrong in society. It's trying to correct the longings that people have and the way that people were going about it didn't answer those longings. And so now we're trying something different. And certainly the minimalistic movement falls short of providing those promises because you're not going to find true freedom and joy by just having less in your life. Yeah. And so really, as we're talking through this, the minimalist movement has problems for sure, but there is value to intentionality when it comes to the things that you own. Mm -hmm. Like for us, the unintentionality of just living here for three years and having space, it fills up with stuff and there's just this clutter that we don't need. Uh, we're not necessarily being good stewards. And so introducing that intentionality is a good thing. If you avoid being extreme about it, there's a, there's a balance and a nuance to that. And if you avoid attaching it to bringing you true freedom and true joy, if you're, if you're going about the minimalistic lifestyle with the end goal of hoping for freedom because you feel this emptiness or you're longing for joy because you just think there's something in your life that it needs to change, the answer is not minimalism. Hmm. The answer is Jesus because he's really the only one who can bring you freedom and Really, this movement is, is just trying to solve the problem that we've had since the beginning of time. So really, there are two extremes when it comes to you and your relationship to your possessions or your stuff. On the one extreme, you have someone who's extremely materialistic, where their worth and value is found in how much wealth they can amass, how much stuff they can get. Mm -hmm. And on the other side, you have someone who's extremely minimalistic who finds their value and worth in basically how little they can live off of. Mm -hmm. But in both situations, you're finding your value and your worth in the wrong place. And so you right. fundamentally have a, a messed up relationship with your stuff. Mm -hmm. And again, to use a, a, a food analogy, it would mm -hmm. be on the other side, uh, be on one side would be gluttony. And on the other side would be food deprivation. Either side has some kind of unhealthy relationship with food and we can have the same kind of relationship with our stuff. And it's important to look at what does the Bible actually have to say about minimalism? Obviously this is a new term, but there is something within the Christian faith that would support aspects of minimalism because the Bible is clear about not being tied to possessions and not placing your value in those things. So uh, I want us to just look at a few verses to kind of see what does the Bible have to say about minimalism and the mindset of living a life of minimalism. So in 1 Timothy chapter 6, verses 6 through 8, But godliness with contentment is great gain, for we brought nothing into the world, and we cannot take anything out of the world. But if we have food and clothing, with these we will be content. Basically, it's saying like when we came into the world, we had absolutely nothing. Like you didn't even have clothes. Came <laughs> like, buck nude. You did. <laughs> yes. And when you leave, you're not going to take anything with you. You go out buck nude. <laughs> well, okay. So th this verse is really saying the only thing that you need in your life, really for contentment, 
is not placed in possessions. It's not placed in things. It's actually interesting. I read an article of a guy who said that he was going to bury his expensive car. It was like a Bentley or something with him when he died. And people were like outraged on the internet and just saying like how selfish he was. Like, why would you do that? Why would you waste this? And he then came out and made a statement and said, I was going to bury my car with me and you guys got all outraged, but there are so many people that don't donate their organs when they die. Mm. And that's far more valuable than a Bentley. This doesn't have anything to do with minimalism. I just thought it was an interesting story. Like you don't take anything with you, not Mm -hmm. even your organs. Yeah, that is interesting. Uh, Another verse is in first Timothy as well. Same chapter, chapter six, verse 17 to 19 says, as for the rich in this present age, Charge them not to be haughty, nor to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but on God, who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. They are to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share, thus storing up treasures for themselves as a good foundation for the future, so that they may take hold of that which is truly life. I feel like we don't use that word haughty enough no. <laughs> in regular speak. No. Don't be so haughty about it. <laughs> this means like don't be a jerk. Don't be right. arrogant about it. Yeah. And this verse is saying that you can store up treasures here, but they're not material. That the treasures you're storing up here are going to be doing good, to be rich in good works, to be generous, to be someone who wants to share. That is storing up treasure for your future and not the idea of storing up physical possessions whether that be money or it be things and even in some sense now I think we have a different kind of treasure where it's experiences and so we're willing to spend a whole lot of money on an experience even though it's not something you can like hold in your hands and even that's kind of grabbing at what this verse is talking about. Yeah. But falling short. Yes. And so the idea of what does living a life of fullness and of treasure look like, the verse says to not set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but to set your hopes on the certainty of God. And with the promises of God comes this call for Christians to live good lives, good lives that care for other people that are willing to share, that are willing to be generous, that are willing to give out of what little you may have and not necessarily giving out of abundance, but giving out of what you have. And that is really the promise that God brings that the promise minimalism falls short of. It, it cannot bring you that freedom and joy that God is promising, even though it's feels like it's coming along the same vein of what Christianity calls you to do. It just falls shy of the gospel itself. And that's because minimalism, though it's spiritual in nature, is still not eternal in nature. But That's a good point. But yep. Jesus and your relationship to him is eternal in nature. Love is eternal in nature. And the the self-sacrifice in the path of that concern for others and this sense of self-giving that is eternal Mm -hmm. in nature. And that is fueled by and ultimately fulfilled in Jesus himself. And he's the only one that can ultimately satisfy that longing for this sense of wholeness. Mm -hmm. 
Mm-hmm. Really, that's really what we're searching for, either when we're trying to amass wealth or we're trying to find meaning through living with less. What we really are looking for is a sense of rightness, like it's not rightness like I'm right and you're wrong, but a, a, a sense of wholeness, shalom, this, this sense that everything is the way it's supposed to be. You can only find that in Jesus. And sure, there are other things because God created the earth and everything in it. And stuff is good, but it, it's not meant to be worshipped. Jesus has something to say about all of that. But this is to say that minimalism in and of itself is ultimately going to fall short of yeah. of what you are really longing for. Yeah, because if you continue to look at some other verses in the New Testament, Matthew six nineteen and 20, say, Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will also be. And in Luke twelve fifteen, Jesus said to them, Take care, be on guard against all covetousness, for one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. And so these are verses that easily support the idea of minimalism. Do not covet things do not store up possessions because in the end those things don't matter and minimalism is saying the same thing like you don't need all of these things you don't need stuff it it is and there there's a balance there that these last couple verses that we'll look at is that don't store up for yourself treasures but also there is something valuable to the the tactile things of this world in First Thessalonians four eleven it says, and aspire to live quietly and mind your own affairs, mind your business and work with your hands as we instructed you. So the sense that, that you're not disengaging entirely in living a monastic life where you're trying to detach from every physical thing because the physical is good. You want to be engaged with that. And I think another great verse and really just a great book to read in the Bible is Ecclesiastes. And this is chapter 2, verse 24. It says, So I decided that there is nothing better than to enjoy food and drink and to find satisfaction in work. Then I realized that these pleasures are from the hand of God. And that comes in the context of Solomon talking about, you know, I amassed all of this wealth and it didn't fill me up. I had all these wives, all, all these women, and it didn't fill me up. I had so much knowledge and wisdom and influence and power, and none of it really ended up meaning anything. But what I found is, is that I live simply if I follow God and I just enjoy the food I eat, enjoy the wine I drink, enjoy the work I do, that these pleasures are coming from the hand of God and if I can simply live simply in them, then that's where my sense of shalom is going to be found. And so it really is a balance because in the end, what we have on this earth is created by God and given to us. And those are things that were meant to be enjoyed to some degree, not things that we, again, find our value and our identity in or even our joy in, but you can certainly find happiness and pleasure in things of this world. So the Bible is really saying, don't become obsessive over your things, but just enjoy what God has put on this earth because he actually created it for you to enjoy it. Yeah. And it's just super easy to go one extreme, the other. Mm -hmm. And so I think as we 
think through our relationship with our stuff, um, probably a, a good tip for finding a healthy relationship with your stuff. And that's, that feels like a weird thing to say, like your relationship to your stuff. But really, we do have this emotional relationship with our stuff. Certainly. Like what are some good, I guess, questions we can ask ourselves or things we can contemplate when we're evaluating what our relationship is to our stuff? I think when you are going to buy something new, it's a good just question to ask yourself, why do you need to buy this or why do you need to keep this? And when I say the word need, it doesn't have to be, you know, this is for basic survival. Right. There could Did you be... really need ice cream? Of course not. But did I need it in this moment? Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> it all depends on how My you define the word need. needed it. Yeah. And so don't be hard on yourself of saying, I don't absolutely need this for survival. If I don't purchase the thing, I will die. And that's the measure of need. That's a little too extreme. But it is important to not just show up at Target and mindlessly buy stuff. Because you never feel good about it afterwards. No, you always walk out of Target spending over $100, and then you take it all into your house, and some of it you just never do anything with. And I have made many of those trips at Target. And I always find the cutest things there, and I found this cute little pot that you like grow your own I don't know, I think it was chives or something. And my friend made fun of me because I bought it with her and she kept coming over months and months later. And the can that you're supposed to start, you know, your own garden in was never even opened for months. And she just laughed at me like, why did you buy this? Like, I don't know. It was cute. So that was not a good reason to buy it in Uh, that moment of time. Although I will say going to Target and looking around actually is good for your emotional state. There was a psychological study that was done where they actually researched people who went window shopping because there weren't any other important things in the world to be researching at the time. But they did this study, and if people went to a store and they looked around like all these cool things that they liked that was enjoyable for them to see and to think about, like, oh, what if I bought this or what if I bought that? If they walked out of that store not having bought anything, their emotional state was elevated from where they started before they went into that store. Mm. However, if they went in there window shopping and they bought something, their emotional state uh, was worse than when they walked into that store. So, I mean, there is actually something good about just going to Target and looking at all of the magnolia stuff and Mm -hmm. sniffing all the candles and whatever it might be. But impulse purchases almost never end up giving you the, the kind of joy that you thought they were going to. And that goes back to the trend of retail therapy. I think that's more common among women because, you know, if you had a breakup or you had a hard day, like, let's just go shopping. Because you get this kind of rush. You when get you... this excitement to go shopping. But when you have this emotional need that you're trying to either mask or push down or deal with, and you choose shopping to deal with that emotional need, it's usually not going to end well because you aren't actually dealing with the problem. You're just masking it with buying more things. And it goes back to what you said earlier that usually that actually ends up making you feel more terrible because it's very likely that you spent money 
either that you didn't have and you charged it or that maybe you shouldn't have spent there and you could have spent more wisely somewhere else. So if you find yourself going shopping for the sake of retail therapy and for the sake of dealing with your emotions, it's probably not the best way to deal with your emotions and to connect with things. Right. I mean, maybe if you're feeling down, still go to Target or to Nordstrom or wherever. Just don't buy anything. One, and then two, actually deal with whatever issue you're having, whether you're anxious about something, you're upset about something, Mm -hmm. you're grieving something. When we mask our feelings with stuff and then just never deal with the feelings, that's where it's really going to bring us down. Yeah. And as Christians, this does become a little bit more, I guess, deeper than the other kinds of questions that I've brought up so far is one of them is... Just to ask yourself, are you being a good steward of the resources God has given you? Yeah. Because you that- can buy stuff just because you're, you're disorganized. I was actually, this was a while ago, but I watched this show called Clean House where they're, they go into a house and they're, it's completely just a wreck and it's, there's stuff piled to the ceilings and all kinds of stuff. And there was this one episode where this family, they were just continuing to buy new clothes, mm-hmm. not because they didn't have clothes, but because they were so disorganized and like laundry was like such a hassle and they just, they were just living so out of control that they would just buy new clothes instead of washing the ones that they had because they couldn't get organized. They couldn't find things. So they would just buy new clothes. That's not being a good steward of your stuff. That's just really out of control. Yeah, Obviously that's an extreme example, but we all do that to a certain measure. I was going to say that feels really extreme, but I can actually relate to it to some degree in grocery shopping. So when we have so many things in the freezer, do we have this? I don't know. Get another one. Yeah. And that happens. And then I'm reorganizing the freezer when I get back from the grocery store and I'm like, Oh my goodness, we already had three pounds of chicken. Why did I just buy five more pounds of chicken today? Why do we have six cantaloupes now? (laughs) Yeah. But that is very real life moment that I have experienced on several occasions. And part of it is just because we have now, accumulated too much frozen food that I can't even know figure what out have, what's yeah. in the freezer anymore. And so I need to, one, reorganize the freezer and clean it out. And so lately I felt like we've been doing that a little bit too frequent because I feel like I've had too many things going on in my life to actually clean out the fridge and clean out the freezer. But I did that today. I cleaned everything out before I went grocery shopping. And so I didn't actually buy duplicates of anything. And I felt a lot better about that because I really get mad when I come back to the store and realize we already had this and I just wasted money. Being a good steward is important because whatever you have was given to you by God. And you have to be a good steward of what God's given you. And it doesn't mean you can't buy things for yourself. It doesn't mean you can't enjoy your money to some degree of buying things. It doesn't mean that at all. But we do need to know that we should also be generous. Hmm. And so we shouldn't be trying to to buy things for ourselves all the time. But also have a, a space within your budget to just be generous and build that into your way of living. And that's a, a good way to move into good stewardship. Yeah. And a lot of this sounds pretty pedestrian. Sounds a little mundane, like organizing your refrigerator or thinking intentionally about your trips to Target. But really, these are actually spiritual concerns for a number of reasons. One, you're going to feel better. 
when your life is in control and you are not being mastered by something else. Because really when you're you're out of control and you don't have an intentional relationship with your stuff, your stuff is becoming your master. Mm. It's like the tyranny of your clutter. Yep. So you can regain that that control so that you're not mastered by anything material. And then also, like you said, create that margin. Live below your means. Create margin so that when opportunity strikes, you have resources for those opportunities. Mm-hmm. You have resources to be generous. When you see just a, a, a wonderful opportunity to show generosity, I can't tell you how many times I've seen an opportunity and I'm like, oh man, I wish I had such and such kind of resources to be generous to that need. Hmm. But I didn't have the resources. And whether that was just because I didn't prepare for it or we just didn't, there were just more resources than I, I would have been able to have in that situation. Anyways, but it does kind of show like, oh, if I had prepared for this moment, I don't know when opportunity is going to strike, but when it strikes, I want to be ready. And whether that's for generosity or whether that's even just for other financial opportunities, you want to go on a vacation, you want to buy a house, you want to do some of these things. You need to create margin so that when you have opportunity that you can, you can strike on those opportunities. And that only comes when you're intentional with your stuff. Yeah. And so really what we were hoping to kind of drive home on this episode today is that the minimalistic movement has some really good value points in it. And there are some areas within this philosophy of life that line up with the Christian way of life. And really what's most important about that is the way that you view your things and the relationship that you have to those things. Those things in and of themselves are not bad. They're not evil. They're not sinful. Um, they, they're relatively neutral for the most part. What begins to change that place of neutrality is your relationship to those things. And so as Christians who are really trying to live this abundant life and really trying to live in the fullness of what Jesus has for us is we do need to evaluate our relationship to things. And if we have a wrong relationship to things, you have an opportunity to correct that and uh, you have an opportunity to actually bring that before Jesus and have him work on whatever is lying beneath those wrong relationships to things. And really the key word in all of this is intentionality. Be intentional with what you have, with what you keep, with what you throw away, with what you give away. Don't buy it just because it's on sale and really just think through what you actually need and go and clean out your refrigerator, I guess. Thanks for listening to the Her and Him podcast. If you enjoyed hanging out with us, consider subscribing to the podcast to receive it automatically each week. We'd also love it if you head over to iTunes to leave us a rating and review. And be sure to come visit us at herandhim.com where you'll find show notes for this episode, our blog, and other resources to help you experience the abundant life that Jesus promised us. Thanks again. We'll see you next week. This is Chris Christensen, and back in 2006, I started a simple project, a project to try and introduce more people to the Bible through Bible study called the Bible Study Podcast. It's a simple name and a simple idea. Each week, every week, we study one chapter of the Bible, talk about what it says and what that might mean for us today. To listen now, go to lifeaudio.com or search for the Bible Study Podcast on your favorite podcast app.